listening to The Private Citizen Defending Your Right to Have Something to Hide. This is episode 49 for Wednesday, the 25th of November, 2020. Crypto Wars Redux. Hello everybody, I'm your host Fab, coming to you live from the city of Düsseldorf in Germany, or as we like to call it down here, Dedorf, on the Rhine, uh, in lockdown, live live from lockdown once again thanks for listening to the show thanks for being here um this is episode 49 um almost at uh, at 50 episodes and uh, today we're going to talk about uh, crypto was this is something I've, I've talked about i've kind of teased before um the important topic that's been all over the news uh, for a while now, I just I just didn't get around to it. There was too much coronavirus stuff going on, and other stuff was going on. So, yeah. Um, but now I've, I finally made it. I'm here, um, and um, as always, I'm, I'm um, well. As as always, as I do it, as I do these days, I'm recording this live on Twitch, and uh, people are definitely not trying to distract me right now. Um, with pointless messages. So if you want to, this is something new I'm doing, new in air quotes. Uh, so if you want to follow along uh, while these episodes are recorded, um, you could you could do so when I record them, which is usually on a Wednesday, obviously. And um, my Twitch channel is Foxtrot Alpha Bravo. And the alpha is spelled as in the phonetic alphabet uh, with an F. So twitch.tv Foxtrot Alpha Bravo, but uh, chances are you're listening to this in your car or somewhere else as a podcast, so don't mind any of that crazy uh, crazy stuff I just talked about. Um, settle yourself in. This could be a long episode. I've got some um, Tari Lapsang tea uh, to go here uh, because um, I need to stay uh, stay away. No, it's not like this is this is boring, but I've, I've had a long day and I need to uh, I need some energy. I put some uh, rock. Uh, sugar in there to to give me some en uh, energy. I've also deployed the cheap skin uh, on my um, on my gaming seat because uh, it's getting cold here. I don't know how it is where you are in the world. Uh, if you're in Australia, obviously it'll be getting hot. <laughs> uh, over here, it's it's now getting cold, and I'm kind of freezing. Um, but before we get into the main topic of the show, um, I have something. Uh, to mention um, an upcoming uh, hiatus. Uh, don't don't worry, it's not going to be a long one. But um, I um, I thought about how to do this. Um, I would I, I usually uh, with previous podcasts I recorded. I've I've, I've always taken off uh, a week or two uh, over the Christmas and New Year's holidays to kind of relax. Um, and I'm wearing a T-shirt isn't helping. Is <laughs> already a, a comment uh, in Twitch that yes, of course. Uh, but I'm sitting on a cheap on a sheepskin, right? If I if I was actually wearing a hoodie now, I was this this is bl a bloody warm sheepskin. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, yes. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take a, a, a bit of time off um, here. Um, not not immediately. Not now. Um, I'm, I'm definitely going to finish this episode. No, uh, so so my plan is, um, so this is episode 49. The, the current plan is I hope I can get this done. As, as usual, this is kind of um, beholden to the vagaries of my schedule as a freelancer. But the plan is that I'm going to record two more episodes. 
and then I'm going to take the rest of the year off. Um, so that would be a, another episode, which will hopefully be released later this week, or which I'm recording released later this week. And then uh, an episode on Wednesday, the 2nd of December, which will be, um, if all goes according to plan, episode 51. And that episode, uh, I will do a kind of a, a year in v- review uh, look back at the topics I've, I talked about uh, in 2020 and things, uh, you know, the important topics. And I'll, I'll try to uh, to to maybe see a, a trend in there or, you know, try to summarize uh, the year a bit, which this year <laughs> is it's probably going to be relatively easy. It's it's going to be uh, the coronavirus Armageddon. But yeah, so, so I'll do that. That'll be the final episode for the year. And then I'm going to take the rest of December off. And I'm going to recharge my uh, batteries a little bit. But I also want to um, rethink the show a little bit. Nothing drastic. But, you know, think about what I've been doing, what's been working, what hasn't. And, you know, try to re-examine, take stock and, and maybe maybe change some things for 2021. Uh, some, something I'm definitely going to change is the website. I'm going to work, not, also not drastically, I'm going to work a bit, take the time, work a little bit on the website. And then if everything goes according to plan, uh, I'll be back on uh, Wednesday, the 6th of January, 2021, uh, just back on schedule, on the Wednesday schedule, um, with a podcast as usual. I mean, there might be some minor changes, but I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to, if I change things, I'm going to tell you about them beforehand. I think that's, that's just fair. So much uh, for the plans. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's that's it. So um, I I think uh, that's that's reasonable. You know, taking a few weeks off over the holidays, you'll probably have things to do anyway. I don't know what I, I you know, depending on what ha- holidays will look like this year where you are. Um, but you know, um, I think it's you know if you haven't if you haven't caught up there's there's some time to catch up to some episodes although if you haven't caught up you won't be listening to this uh, until after the fact and you won't you know you'll just be wondering why I'm not releasing any episodes <laughs> but as usual I mean this is all also in the show notes um, even if you're not caught up you can always go ahead you know and look at what's in the chronos for the current show um, and when I'm talking about the show notes obviously uh, privatecitizen.press is where they are. And that's where all the information is on the current show as well and all the uh, links and everything. So it's it's worth going there. Uh, today, there's actually quite a quite a lot in the show notes. So uh, privatecitizen.press uh, as usual for that. And so now we should talk about the main topic, I think. So as I said before, this is something I've, I've had on my radar uh, to talk about for quite some time because i mean this this has been in the news pretty much since summer uh, and it's been it's been identified as a topic very early on as well because this is new what i'm talking about is the crypto wars and um, before we get into what's been going on recently and why that is important and what we have to watch out for I think uh, it is pertinent at this point to go back in time and talk a little bit about history. So what, you know, some of you might not be aware of this. This is uh, pretty much a lot of this is inside baseball. You know, if you're into into IT security and to cryptography, you'll know all of this. 
Um, but, you know, people that are primarily um, interested in privacy might not. And also people who might, you know, might be a bit younger or, or haven't, you know, I, I, I'm feeling that there's always these focal points in time when people get interested in a topic. And I guess the Snowden revelations uh, about was almost 10 years now, um, you know, when was that, 2012? Uh, you know that that was or was it twenty thirteen right yeah so 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 that was a focal point where a lot of people got interested into privacy and maybe I'm I'm feeling like the current situation we had this year uh, with all the you know the the coronavirus stuff the tracking the tracing um, these new laws um, in some countries mandatory tracking uh, has probably gotten people interested you know some some people might have find found this show. Um, who do not have this background knowledge. So I think it's 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 good at this point to have a little history lesson. Uh, also, I uh, some people might know I did study history in university. I didn't get a degree, but I spent like what thirteen semesters <laughs> just studying this. So history to me is interesting. Um, although some of this uh, won't qualify as history because history in the historic science sense usually means. Um, you know, from the time you are in right now, it's always like 30 years back. So um, earlier uh, than 1990 right now, that would be considered history because usually, uh, just a little aside here, um, it's it's usually considered that in, in historical science because um, there's usually a 30-year, um, like documents, are classified even if they're not like classified documents you know just the, everything like foreign policy stuff even if it's not classified it's usually kept under lock and seal for 30 years and that's usually the time when most governments release that so everything within those 30 years is usually the realm of political science uh, which isn't used which is used to looking at you know um, contemporary sources newspapers uh, as they come out and stuff like that and stories as they develop and historical science will be usually later or you know a, a time frame uh, older than 30 years where you can get where you can get access to documents and stuff like that um, so uh, anyway let's talk about the crypto wars how they came into being and what 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 is it so the the idea of crypto wars um, came out came came to be uh, in the Cold War. I mean, we're talking back in the 70s, 80s here, and it began with ideas of, as far as I can tell, export regulations from the US and allied countries to block or prevent the Eastern Bloc or you know, the Warsaw Pact countries uh, from gaining access to uh, cryptography cryptography or cryptographic systems that could defeat the US or its allies spying on them. So they didn't want to they didn't want US companies developing encryption that would then get exported you know to Soviet countries and then the Soviets would use that and the uh, US intelligence um agencies couldn't wouldn't be able to crack that. They they wanted to prevent that. So they started to having uh, export restrictions. Um, more on that in a bit. So as Wikipedia puts it, they have a they have a page on the crypto wars, and the introduction is um, 
The Crypto Wars is an unofficial name for the US and allied governments' attempts to limit the public's and foreign nations' access to cryptography strong enough to resist decryption by national intelligence agencies. And um, in these uh, export restrictions, um, you know, this being a child of the 70s, but primarily the 80s, um, they did uh, interesting things. They defined encryption technologies as weapons or as munitions. Um, and they they did that to get this, I, I think there was a, this is a political thing, to get these to stick, these restrictions. Now, um, why are we even talking about this? The Cold War is over. Now, the thing is, after the Berlin Wall fell and the Cold War you know, people realized that the Cold War was over. A lot of things from the Cold War got rolled back, but some just stuck. And this is one of these. So these export restrictions stuck. This is why if you're into IT security or into cryptography, if you ever um, configured SSL cipher suits or something like this, uh, you will know the term of export ciphers. Uh, to this day, we have special ciphers a version of ciphers cryptographic algorithms that are uh, weaker that are so-called export ciphers and these are um, to uh, employ an old catchphrase of mine crap they are crap um, and um, this is to some degree still a thing um I, you know, if you go to the show notes, private citizen or press, um, I have a link there to the Wasana agreement. This is the thing that is still this this weapons restrictions, export restrictions agreement between the US and allied countries and now also other countries. Um, and, you know, that, that continues to be a thing. Uh, it continues to include, so in 2013, uh, they revised these, and there was a big cry uh, in in IT security circles about that as well. But they, they, for example, they put it intrusion software. Uh, it's not quite until this day. It's not quite clear what that is, but like malware and stuff like that. And network surveillance systems are in there. So uh, you know, U.S. companies or companies um, from allied uh, countries, you know, Germany being one, um, enforce certain restrictions on companies exporting this kind of technology. Although in in practice, I can tell you from my years of uh, working as an IT security reporter, this is all pretty much bullshit because, you know, there's a well-known German company, for example, that, um, yeah, well, they're, they're German, UK, whatever, you know, um, they've been known under various names, but the most commonly known name is Finfisher. Um, they were originally from Munich. They're a company designing um, Trojan, so that the Trojan was called Finfisher, that you, for example, can put on, um, you know, that states would use to put on people's mobile phones and then exfiltrate their messages, even if they use uh, encrypted services like WhatsApp or other other crypto messengers. And, you know, that would theoretically, I, I would think, fall under these export restrictions. But they were, you know... They were exporting this to countries, uh, to uh, regimes uh, in the Middle East that were spying on people that, you know, you you would think this kind of exporting wouldn't be allowed. But then, you know, Germany also exports weapons, you know, handguns and tanks and rifles and 
planes, I think, to, to these countries. So, um, as usual, if you have, if you're, if you're powerful and you have money, these export restrictions don't seem to apply, but they definitely did apply to software. Now, the most well known, um, that, I would say, you know, the biggest battle fought in the crypto wars, this was in the 90s, uh, was something called the Clipper Chip, which you might have heard about. And I'm going to read a little bit from Wikipedia here. The Clipper Chip was a chipset that was developed and promoted by the United States National Security Agency, NSA, as an encryption device that secured, quote, voice and data messages, end quote, with a built-in backdoor that was intended to, quote, allow federal, state, and local law enforcement officials the ability to decode intercepted voice and data transmissions, end quote. It was intended to be adopted by telecommunications companies for voice transmission, in Oops, sorry, I'm uh, I'm wrangling my mic. Boom. <laughs> Introduced in 1993, it was entirely defunct by 1996. Organizations such as the uh, Electronic Privacy Information Center and the Electronic Frontier Foundation challenged the Clipper Chip proposal, saying that it would have the effect not only of subjecting citizens to increased and possibly illegal government surveillance, but that the strength of the Clipper Chip's encryption would not be evaluated by the could not be evaluated by the public, and as its design was classified was classified secret, and that therefore individuals and businesses might be hobbled with an insecure communication system. And it was just as an aside, it was there were uh, immediately there were uh, security vulnerabilities found in this thing. So this turned out to be true. Further, it was pointed out that while American companies could be forced to use the Clipper chip in their encryption products, foreign companies could not. Makes sense, kind of, you know. And presumably phones with strong data encryption would be manufactured abroad and spread throughout the world and into the United States, negating the point of the whole exercise and, of course, materially damaging US manufacturers and route. The release and development of several strong cryptographic software packages such as Nautilus, PGP, very well known, and PGP phone was in response to the government push for the clipper chip. The thinking was that if strong cryptography was freely available on the internet as an alternative, the government would be unable to stop its use. And that kind of worked. This is basically um, so uh, reporting uh, by news organizations, you know, lobbying by, by organizations like the EFF, and basically this approach of open source cryptography that everybody could use uh, becoming uh, prevalent on the internet basically had this effect and um, made made it so that the clipper chip you know was never never really came into being so a uh, disaster averted but the clipper chip always uh, serves as an as a great example of what the u.s government um, which ideas the u.s government has and what it wants to do in you know a perfect world as the US government sees it um and as it as this whole situation was going on and you know there was a public debate about this this also caused uh, these these um export restrictions to come under fire and um in the end caused them to be uh, negated so uh Quoting further uh, from Wikipedia here, 
Legal challenges by Peter Younger and other civil libertarians and privacy advocates, the widespread availability of encryption software outside the US, and the perception by many companies that adverse publicity about weak encryption was limiting their sales and the growth of e-commerce led to a series of relaxations in US export controls, culminating in 1996 in President Bill Clinton's signing of the Executive Order 13026, transferring the commercial encryption from the munition list to the commerce control list. Furthermore, the order stated that, quote, the software shall not be considered or treated as technology, end quote, in the sense of export administration regulations. This order permitted the United States Department of Commerce to implement rules that greatly simplified the export of proprietary and open source software containing cryptography, which they did in 2000. So this kind of all ended um, the, 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 one could say, the first round um, of the crypto wars. And as you can see here, um, it was kicked off by civil rights activists, um, and you know, you know, um, you know, privacy activists, and you know, these kind, these kind of people and organizations. But it kind of didn't succeed because of that. It succeeded because of companies, as usual, <laughs> with U.S. often with U.S. policy. Um, it succeeded because you know this is this was you know in the end of the nineteenth nineties early two thousands you know this was uh, the, the the bubble and you know e-commerce and all of that getting launched and companies basically seeing all the money that was lying around uh, and they wanted their part of this and quite. I think quite correctly, they saw that you know this um, these, this growth of the internet into a commerce platform needed encryption, and that the idea that the U.S. was hobbling its own encryption uh, would be detrimental to all of this um, commercial, uh, all of these commercial enterprises. So this kind of killed the first iteration of the crypto wars, but it's been going on ever since. We basically have to um, keep in mind that there, there is a big block in, in U.S. Um, policymaking and something, you know, people, call, my colleagues in, in the mainstream media often call, um, quote, the intelligence community. I do not like that term because people who use it tend to be on their side. Um or, or not understand what 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 they are talking about. Um, Glenn Greenwald keeps calling this the security state, which is a bit drastic, but I think puts it, you know, it's, it's closer to the truth. I mean, this is this is the agencies, the three-letter agencies: CIA, FBI, NSA, all the other agencies, Homeland Security. This is uh, this is all the the people that. Um, you know, the politicians that uh, kind of um, further their interests. Interestingly, you know, we I talked with Mike in the last episode. I mentioned uh, Adam Schiff, who chairs the, you know, the intelligence, that committee of the of the House that is supposed to oversee um, the uh, intelligence services, but often, um, you know, seems to fulfill quite the opposite role. They often seem to, just parrot propaganda from the intelligence services, which intelligence services are naturally good at. Um, and if you, I mean, it, it is clear 
that the US intelligence services and and people closely related to them in government have never given up this idea of um getting rid of usable security for normal people right or for civilians um i mean this is this is this was made cle abundantly clear um in the Snowden revelations uh, with Snowden documents where we had, you know, lots of uh, material from the NSA um, that that made it clear that the NSA and other services um, are still trying to circumvent encryption whenever they can, which is understandable, which is their job, um, you know, with, with programs like Bull Run and stuff like that. But it, it also made clear the attitude they have. And the attitude they have is also that they think their lives would be a lot easier and the world would be a better place if civilians just didn't have um, workable encryption or if, you know, the government could circumvent this encryption whenever it wanted. And they keep pushing for this. Uh, this is usually, I mean, we know the arguments. This is new to nobody. Um, the arguments are usually um, child pornography, child abuse, terrorism. You know, the, the, the argument is the police must look, must see into uh, messages from criminals. Otherwise, we can't uh, prevent things like 9-11 happening and stuff like that, which is which is all bullshit. It's been all uh, it's it's been debunked. It is clear that you can find um people who uh, produce and distribute child pornography and even who consume it without breaking encryption. The police does that pretty much every day. Um, it is clear that, you know, things like 9-11, especially 9-11, wasn't caused by the government not being able to see um, into people's messages. Actually, 9-11 um, is a very good example of why um the the government had it just communicated um effectively and the different arms of the government they might have actually uh prevented or uh, you know or had forewarning of this event um mostly because um they you know they didn't have actually have to see the messages from the terrorists it's um there there've been lots of studies and there's lots of interesting stuff written about this um that shows really clearly what you can do with just metadata. Um, you know, you can you can identify terrorist cells and their leaders and you know the who they are connected with just by who is talking to whom at what time. You don't actually need to see the content of the messages. Um, you can clearly see patterns, and you can you know you can train algorithms and AI, as they would say these days, um, to detect this kind of thing. And with that, we basically come, um, we end our history, history lesson and we come to the current day. We see that these uh, government organizations are still, um, you know, if they had their way, they would, they would try to get rid of workable encryption. Um, and, you know, when I say working i say working encryption because usually you will read in um especially in more mainstream publications you will you will read uh a quote or even the journalist themselves talking about strong encryption and um to me that is working encryption because you know 
Um, the strong encryption implies that there's also weak encryption, which kind of implies that, you, you know, that, that that that's just the quality of encryption, but weak encryption is still encryption, right? And that is not really a good reflection of the truth because there's, it's either strong encryption or no encryption at all. If you're, if you're, adver- I mean, we're talking. We're talking the NSA here being your adversary. If you if your adversary is the NSA, and if and which it is in this case, um, you know as we have seen, they are working on um, circumventing this kind of encryption for for private citizens, uh, for lack of a better term. And if your adversary is the CIA, you need state of the art encryption. You need the best you can get because anything else. Um, they will probably be able to break, you know, they might even be able to break the state of the art encryption. Uh, but, you know, let's not get it. Let's assume they can't, but, you know, there's no, there's no weak encryption. You either have working encryption or you ha- don't have working encryption. Um, so I think it's very important to make that distinction um, while you're talking about this ki- these kind of things. Um, and of course, uh, there are currently efforts underway in the U.S. Uh, in legislation and lawmaking um, to circumvent working encryption or to undermine it or to even, yeah, currently I don't think so much outlaw it, but basically to undermine it with laws. So um, in, during the summer and and early in the year, there was the um, anti uh, there's an anti encryption law called Lawful Access to Encrypted Data Act. Um, which was um, proposed by a number of senators. And then, of course, there was the Earn It Act, which is primarily about free free speech, but it also has a privacy angle. And I talked about this in episode 30. So if you want to know more about that, um, you know, you can listen to that episode. That's basically where it stands. It hasn't been passed yet. As far as I can tell, it's currently in the House and it's been debated in subcommittees, I think. Um, I do feel that with Biden being president, um, we will get more of this. Um, I th- I think, I mean, this is, uh, you know, you can, if you haven't listened to the, the, the previous episode where I talk with Mike about my opinions of the, the presidential, presidential election and of Joe Biden, I, I feel... Um, and the more I read about him and who he's putting into what offices, um, I, I, I feel I, I worry more and more about like you know privacy and encryption uh, being more under attack than it was under Trump. Um, I think uh, I do think he's being he's being backed by a lot of neocons um, that you know were also active under Obama, but. Obama seems to have kind of kept them under control. I think they're now coming back with a vengeance and I don't really trust. I don't, I don't think Biden can keep them under control. And in case of Biden being replaced by Kamala Harris, I don't think she wants to, Um, you know, she said herself, she's a prosecutor. She, She would be a prosecutor president and prosecutors and law enforcement are the people who want who are on the other side of this who you know makes their life massively easier if there's no encryption and their jobs um easier so i don't know i i worry that with biden um this is going to get worse if you want to specifically know why i think um the people he's he's allied with uh, are neocon 
backed warmongers. I put a link in the show notes, private citizen press to a great um, article by Glenn Greenwald on his Substack, um, where he talks about these people and, you know, where they're coming from. I mean, we're talking, um, you know, people like ex-CIA, John Brennan, um, uh, the, uh, the daughter of Dick Cheney, uh, being being part of this, and these are all the people who you know pr- try to prevent Trump from pulling troops out of Afghanistan. Um, you know, uh, I don't, I don't feel. I, I think they are too much in bed with the military-industrial complex, um, so to speak, uh, to use a to use a almost propagandistic term. But um, I feel, you know, I, I feel like those are the people who. Um, who are also not our friends uh, when it comes to you know keeping keeping strong encryption. But to 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 get back from the U.S. because the in the U.S. this currently I mean this is a battleground that's going on, but in the U.S. this is currently paused for obvious reasons. Uh, we talked about on the show the presidential election. Um, there's there's there are things going on in the U.S. I think this will be a renewed effort next year when Biden's in office, and you know these 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 XCIA people who are now commentators on MSNBC and CNN are all back in the fold and on will will be helping to 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 get this legislation passed. Um, the current battleground is actually the EU, and interestingly, um, basically the same thing is going on driven by the German government, which currently um, is chairing the council uh, of the European Union, so kind of steering the the ship uh, when it comes to um, getting legislation um, proposed. And um, quoting here from an article by the EFF on this, after I took, uh, I've taken a few sips of tea to uh, oil my voice here a little bit, so the EFF says, uh, the last few months have been have seen a steady stream of proposals encouraged by the advocacy of the FBI and Department of Justice to provide, quote, lawful access, end quote, to end-to-end encrypted services in the United States. Now lobbying has moved from the US, where Congress has been largely paralyzed by the nation's polarization problems, to the European Union where advocates for anti-encryption laws hope to have a smoother ride. Series of leaked documents from the EU's highest institutions show a blueprint for how they intend to make that happen, with the apparent intention of presenting presenting anti-encryption law to the European Parliament within the next year. Speaking at a webinar, and here we we come with the buzzwords and the the, the thing that's always... uh, trotten out when when we want to do this speaking at a webinar on quote preventing and combating child sexual abuse and exploitation johansson who is uh, i think uh oh god i know i need to look this up um i didn't put that in the stuff i quoted here who was this uh, johansson person again uh ilva ilva johansson the eu's commissioner for home affairs so, um, speaking at a webinar on preventing and combating child sexual abuse and exploitation, Johansson called for a, quote, technical solution, end quote. Mm, nice Nazi language there. <laughs> to what she described as the, quote, problem of encryption and announced that her office had initiated a 
quote, a special group of experts from academia, government, civil society, I'm making a German now because of the Nazi quote, <laughs> and business to find ways of detecting and reporting encryption, encrypted child sexual abuse material, end quote. Subsequent report was subs subsequently, and this is bad writing, subsequent report was subsequently leaked to Politico. It includes, and I have links to this in the show notes, by the way, uh, it includes a laundry list of torturous ways to achieve the impossible, allowing government access to encrypted data without somehow breaking encryption. At the top of that precarious stack was, as with similar proposals in the United States, client-side scanning. We've explained previously while client -side scanning, why client-side scanning is a backdoor by another name. Unalterable computer code that runs on your device comparing in real time the contents of your messages to, un to unauditable ban lists stands directly opposed to the privacy assurances that the term end-to-end -end encryption is understood to convey. It's the same approach used by China to keep track of political conversations in services like WeChat and has no place in a tool that claims to keep conversations private. So what they're trying to say here, let's, let's, let's make this a bit easier. Um, they're not proposing to, um, to ban you from using end-to-end -end encryption. I think they know that that ship has sailed, uh, but that, but they know that you can easily circumvent that. If you can get software on the operating system level or below that on a device, um, no matter if it's a desktop computer or your phone or an iPad or whatever, uh, you know, whatever it is, um, then you can read end-to-end -end encryption because, um, you know, a message comes into your device is is encrypted with strong encryption. For you to be able to read it and to display it in plain text on the screen, the device will have to encrypt it. And what you're just doing is, you know, getting the data once it's encrypted, right? And sending that on, um, you might even encrypt it, enter and encrypt it again and send it to a government server. So basically, uh, this this client-side scanning is um, circumvention of of enter and encryption. Um, you know, in a in a pretty in a pretty straight straightforward way. Uh, I have I have uh, uh, other links in the show notes. If you speak German, the uh, German Chaos Computer Club uh, had a pretty good article on 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 what they're trying to do and how it works. Um, but while it would require a concerted political push, EU's higher powers are gearing up for such a battle. In late September, Statewatch published a note now being circulated by the current EU German presidency called, quote, security, security through encryption and security despite encryption, end quote, encouraging the EU's member states to agree to a new EU position on encryption in the final weeks of 2020. While conceding that, quote, the weakening of encryption by any means, including backdoors, is not a desirable option, end quote, the presidency note also positively quoted an EU counterterrorism coordinator, CTC paper from May, obtained and made available by German digital rights news site netspolitik.org, which calls for what it calls a, quote, front door a, quote, legal framework that will allow lawful access to encrypted data for law, for law enforcement without dictating technical solutions for providers and technology companies. I mean, that's a backdoor. 
they, they want a backdoor, right? This whole front door bullshit is, is bullshit. It's a backdoor. It's a backdoor for law enforcement. But, you know, as any IT security uh, consultants will tell you, uh, or expert will tell you, you know, there'll, there'll be a, you'll have a backdoor and that will be used for legal spying. And then, which, you know, some people, maybe even the majority of people, for example, in Germany would agree with. I mean, the same people that think, okay, if we lock the whole uh, population indoors for three months, uh, you know, if we keep all the people safe with that, go for it, right? The same people would probably say, yeah, okay, if it's only used by government, go for it. Because they don't understand that a system like this will necessarily have security vulnerabilities no matter what anybody says all systems have security vulnerabilities you know which which then you know to speak their own language would cause the russians to come in and also spy on you um and you know that that should end that discussion but it never does for some reason <laughs> um to keep quoting from this uh eff article um we are in the first stages of a long anti-encryption march by the upper echelons of the EU, headed directly towards Europeans' digital front doors. It's the same direction as the United Kingdom, Australia and the United States have been moving for some time. If Europe wants to keep, keep its status as a jurisdiction that treasures privacy, it will need to fight for it. Uh, which uh, <laughs> the private citizen is on the front line. Um, let me tell you. Um, and, um, I also have a link to, uh, if you speak German, uh, to, to a, a uh, good column by Julia Reda, who used to be in the European Parliament, um, who writes on Heise, um, why this is happening now. And this is interesting. This is something I didn't knew until today when I researched this. Um, so the reason for why this is happening in the EU now is that two years ago, the EU, uh, you know, passed laws. They usually take, you know, they're, they're passed and then they go on the books and then they, it takes two years for them to come into effect. It's like the GDPR, so that member countries have time to, they have to implement these laws in local, uh, in their in their local um, legislation. And so it always takes two years. But um, yeah, this has passed two years ago and uh, these laws and they come into effect in December and they essentially what what they do is they um, say that uh, electro that uh, you know internet communication services like messengers and uh, VoIP systems um, that, you know that use the internet are, are included in the protections that you already has for electronic communications so you know like uh, phone calls. So basically what this means is that spying on these services, for example, server side, if they're not entered and encrypted, um, would, would be as illegal as, you know, a tel telco listening to their customers' phone calls. Um, so, you know, I don't know, let's not use WhatsApp because they're entered and encrypted, but, you know, let's, I don't know, uh, you know, Telegram is something I want to look at and Telegram has some unencrypted chats, right? And the service provider could look at those and uh, this this would make it as illegal as, you know, the telecom listening into the phone calls of their customers, which kind of makes sense why they're doing this now. Um, and as Julia Reda also points out, this has become much more urgent now because 
with the pandemic, or as I now like to call it, the panic-demic, <laughs> kind of like that, panic-demic, um, has... What has happened this year is that we've moved a lot of conversations and, you know, um, important conversations onto the internet, right? And I'm not only talking VoIP, like, you know, Zoom meetings and, like, you know, school, the school teaching your children, even although that, you know, could also be important. You don't want that to be spied on. Um, but, I'm you know, I'm talking, you know, you're in a, you're talking to a lawyer, you know, you're talking to your lawyer uh, because you would be you're in a in a in a in a criminal lawsuit or something. Um, you know, you usually do that face to face, right? I mean, pretty much any lawyer will even tell you not to discuss something like this on the phone. Now, you imagine that a lot of people can't do that anymore now, and they have to use uh, internet based. Communication services, messengers, you know, VoIP systems to do this kind of stuff. So this this law is now is becomes more and more important. And on the on the flip side, it becomes more and more important for these people who don't want to access or who want to ex want access to that, you know, to to circumvent that. Um, and I kind of feel like they're using the uh, the pandemic to uh, to do that. You know, they're kind of they're kind of doing that now to get to get to, uh, while everybody's distracted with other stuff and with other horrible laws that I you know talked on about previously on this show. Um, they're trying to get uh, these 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 mandatory law enforcement backdoors or front doors or whatever passed, so that you know that would obviously then supersede um, these these other 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 laws right because if you have a law you know it, it it will still be illegal for a service provider to spy on on uh, you know conversations on their servers but you know it won't be illegal for government agencies to do that or you know for law enforcement especially if, if they get a warrant or you know in, in many cases now they you know they, they seem to finagle it or change the laws that they don't need warrants anymore so who knows um, especially under you know new COVID-based laws, they just go like, "Oh, this is important to fight the pandemic," and then you know, all bets are off. Now, interestingly, in Germany, there's been a discussion, and I've got links to that in the show notes as well, um, about these evil, evil uh, internet messengers like uh, Telegram's been mentioned a lot which the German government has uh, identified as, quote, quote, reservoirs of extremism, um, you know, where people, generally uh, a lot of people have been kicked off Twitter, Facebook, uh, YouTube, or censored because they were talking, you know, they were sharing information that wasn't, um, wasn't approved by the WHO or, you know, whoever government-mandated health... Uh, person is 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 the uh, is the current uh, you know holder of of wisdom they, they you know they were sharing other information and got kicked off that and a lot of these people have just moved to messengers um some of them encrypted messengers you know to to have groups and and to share this kind of information 
And of course, uh, there's also terrorists on there, and you know, probably child porn. So uh, we need to we need to get on there, and we need to uh, defeat that encryption. I mean, who who would have guessed if you kicked all these people off social media that they would find other ways uh, to talk to each other that you can't easily uh, censor? I mean, who who would have who would have guessed that would happen? Um, interestingly, uh, another another comment on Heise uh, Stefan Krempel. Uh, writing about a German government official um, basically saying literally, so this is like the top security official in the interior ministry, basically saying, yes, we want to go back to the time, quote, to the time of the analog telephone. And that that adds, that just puts a bow on it for me. I mean, that, that says everything. That says it all. Um, these people... They wish they want back to that time. They want back to a time where basically they could pretty much spy on anybody they wanted if they wanted to. Um, and I think that's very dangerous. Um, you know, I, I put some links in the show notes about the security uh, implications, which I really don't want to get into because, I mean, that should be obvious. Um, just quickly quoting uh, Bruce Schneier said in 2016 um, on similar issues uh, we're not being asked to choose between security and privacy we're being asked to choose between less security and more security and that pretty much sums it up you know all all, all systems have backdoors and, and, and vulnerabilities even the backdoors have backdoors and if you compromise um, security for law enforcement you basically compromise security because i mean also these people are not the brightest there will be access keys they will get out they get hacked and we're talking local law enforcement in some cases you're not even talking like the nsa we're talking like a snohomish county sheriff's office or whatever right or some 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 hillbilly hick sheriff in tennessee getting encryption keys right it'll, it'll be just time It'll be just a matter of time until all this shit uh, gets out, and people, um, you know, then then everybody, oh my god, the Russians hacked the system, and now they're controlling the country. Um, it's obvious that that's going to happen. But I think the the more important thing is what is happening here is that the people in power they want access to this data because you know it gives them control. I mean, I can't even so much blame investigators, right, and 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 law enforcement officers because it makes their their job a hell of a lot easier. And it's kind of their, you know, it's kind of their job to advocate for this kind of thing. It's just we should be giving it for them uh, to them. I've been saying for years, and I've been writing for years, and I do this, and I write, you know, in highs about this stuff, and then I go to a security conference, and these these people, actually, the law enforcement people, people from the police, from the, from the intelligence services, they come up to me, and they're like, yeah, can't you maybe not write that? And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not on your side in this. Um, <laughs> um, you know, it's... Yes, it makes their job easier, but they can't do their job without it. You can catch these people, you can catch pedophiles and, you know, uh, child abusers and terrorists. You can easily catch them without um, reading their encrypted communications. And you can see, if you look at any anti-terror investigation in Germany um, in the last, I don't know, pretty much 20 years, you know, all the people they caught, 
there, there was never a point where they could read their messages. I mean, this is all metadata analysis, good old fashioned like legwork. Um, you know, you can you can put a GPS sensor on their car. You can follow them around. Um, I mean, just look at the cyberbunker case that I talked about on the show. They were unable to penetrate most of the traffic going in and out of that data center. And they still had a lot of ways to figure out what was going on, surveil people, um, you know, just break in the sites that were being hosted on the server. There's all these kind of things you can, you know, you can have informants, you can, you can do all of that. And they, that, that they continue to actually, you know, um, arrest and prosecute criminals at all shows you that they don't need this kind of access. Um, I don't begrudge them asking for it. I, I begrudge the politicians that actually try to pass these laws because they're not law enforcement and this is not their job um, and they either either don't understand what they're talking about or they don't care and they just want more power. And And this goes right into what I've been talking a lot about these days um about with you know the coronavirus restriction this this goes hand in hand um they're eroding our civil liberty liberties left and right and all these these mandates you know doesn't matter if you're or these these laws as we have them in germany now it doesn't it doesn't matter if you think there are they help or they are justified you have to think about all the collateral damage they bring with with them, right? So if you allow the police to enter my residence to check if there's people uh, in here having like illegal parties, are they now allowed to put a Trojan on my computer, right? And even if not, I mean, mandates like, you know, the, the, the local government being able to tell me when I can go out or not, that is a control measure. They have, I mean, you can't, you can't deny that they have a lot more control measures right now, as long as the pandemic's going on, right? Of course, yes, uh, if the pandemic is over, but like, you know, will the pandemic ever be over? Uh, you know, that, that's the question. Will, will they not find, um, enough positive, um, tested people to keep it going? In indefinitely, I, I I don't know that, but you know the the or you know they could change those laws, but you know they have more control mechanisms now, and that goes hand in hand with this kind of crypto war stuff, because they want that as well. They want they then then these people are not <laughs> for some reason, and a lot of the politicians voting for this in parliament you know in the in the eu parliament in the german parliament wherever you are if you're in the us a lot of these politicians actually mean well there are a few who i think are corrupt or who are compromised by the security state there there are probably a few people who are evil <laughs> you know who just want the control um but the majority i think don't understand what they're doing they actually think this is a good idea uh, but it's, it's nonetheless dangerous. Um, you know, they, they, they're not, they're not ha happy with just having the ability to tell you when you can go out and when you can go shopping and when you have to wear a mask and when you have to do this and when you can breathe and when you can't breathe, right? They also want to read all of your messages if they want to, 
you know, they want backdoor every device, they want access to every server. And I'm asking myself why. I'm saying, you know, we're living in a under the rule of law in a democracy. I can't I don't know where you're listening to this podcast from because but I'm in Germany. Right? We we are a federal republic. We're a democracy. We have elected leaders and I don't nobody has been able to under, to to explain to me why they should have this power. Why should they be able to read our messengers? For what reason? And the only thing they can say is, oh my God, there's child porn and there's terrorism. We had worse terrorism in Germany in the 70s. The worst terrorism we ever had in Germany was in the 70s, you know, which was the Rote Armee Fraktion, RAF. We never had anything comparable, certainly not in the last 20 years, even though they, they've all been saying, oh my God, 9-11, you know, London subway bombing, Germany's going to be next. No. And they have proven <laughs> that they can actually catch these people, as I said before. So I, I don't understand why they have these rules. You know, with the coronavirus stuff, yes, I do. I do feel there is there is an argument there. People people are making an argument. They're saying, you know, this is so dangerous, and the the health of the public is so important that we need to do that. That is not 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 something I agree with, especially if that leads to um, let's get rid of inalienable um, personal rights that been enshrined in the constitution, even if it's just for the time of the pandemic. I don't agree with that, but they at least have an argument. When it comes to the crypto wars, they do not have a single argument. The only thing they're saying is, if we can read all your messages it would make our lives a hell of a lot easier. To which I say, your lives are not supposed to be easy. If you're an investigator of, you know, if you work for the criminal police, your life should be hard. Your job should be hard. It should be hard to catch criminals, right? It shouldn't be too hard. They shouldn't be, be able to get away. But, you know, we have, um, even if John Brennan doesn't agree, we have... The, the we have due process and we have uh, innocent, innocent uh, until proven guilty. I mean, I know John Brennan thinks it's uh, somebody's innocent until alleged to be uh, a criminal. I know that's what he said. Uh, you know, but you know, he works for he worked for the CIA. Probably still works for the CIA. He never really quit the agency, right? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, and if you if you if you work on a fucking intelligence service, your job should be even harder. Yes, it should be fucking hard for you to spy on the the citizens of a democratic country. Yes, that's the point. It should be una- you should actually be actually largely be unable to do that. <laughs> I think. But, you know, um obviously uh me and people who make the laws uh disagree um in in quite a few ways. But that's it about the crypto wars. I hope I gave you a good primer on what historically happened and what's happening right now. Obviously, this is an ongoing topic. Um, I mean, I, if you're interested in this and how intelligence services and stuff do uh, do this, you could maybe also listen to... Now I have to look this up myself because I don't know by offhand which episode that was. By the way, you know, if you go to private citizen or press and you scroll down, there's an all episode 
all podcast episodes uh, link and you can see all the episodes, which is what I'm doing right now. Um, and there was the episode called, what was it called? Where is it? Um, it was called the Intelligence Coup of the Century, but I can't find it right now. Let's see which uh, which episode was that. Oh God, I have to, it's too many episodes. I can, that was episode 14. Um, so you, you that's an interesting episode. That's about the, uh, the, BND and the CIA basically owning a Swiss um, company that made uh, encryption devices devices for embassies. And it's just another piece of the puzzle. It's basically also crypto wars. So I hope you have a nice, you've, you've gotten a nice overview here and uh, obviously a, a topic that I'll, I'll, I'll keep covering on the show because I mean, you know, once they, once Biden's in office, uh, this, this will get back uh onto the agenda in the US and I think the EU thing is still still going on. I think in the EU they're kinda using uh the the panic demic. <laughs> I like the, I like panic demic. I don't know if I came up with that, but I, I like to think I did. Um they um you know they're obviously using that as a cover to pass these kind of laws so we'll have to um we'll have to be vigilant and I'll I'll keep um I'll keep you up to date on that. And with that, we obviously reach uh, that part of the show where I talk about feedback I've gotten from the producers, uh, which other podcasts call listeners. But uh, I have, well, I do have listeners, but I have, have many producers who are listeners who um, write in or, you know, do other stuff, uh, help monetarily or, you know, uh, help in other ways. But um, some of them write in and they provide feedback, which I like very much and i think it's great so if you have feedback uh if anything you heard there was unclear or you have a different opinion or whatever please let me know don't just sit there and think ah oh, fab's an idiot he's totally wrong on biden write me uh an email or contact me in other ways um there are ways uh, mentioned in the show notes as usual private citizen or press but let's get into the feedback I've received for this episode. So Fadi Mansour, uh, who writes in quite a lot, and uh, as usual, uh, is is very thoughtful in his feedback. Um, has, has sent me quite a lot of stuff, but I, I think he's um, he thinks, um, how do you say? It? He thinks well. He's a good thinker. I like the way uh, he thinks, and I and I generally. Uh, you know appreciate i appreciate all feedback but uh, this this is this is really good so uh, let's let's settle back and uh, let's see what uh, fadi has to say and this is regarding episode 48 which obviously was the previous episode where i had the discussion with mike about the us presidential election anyway fadi says let me first start by restating how important it is to be able to have a civil and reasonable discussion, even with the difference of opinion. But unfortunately, my impression was that both of you were coming from different a priori positions. Um, yeah, that was probably, uh, probably correct. This was clear when Fab brought in the topic of the Biden laptop. On one hand, it's clear that you, so fat, fat me, you are willing to entertain that there's something worth seeing there. Well, for Mike, it was purely and clearly a continuation of the Trump camp ploy to muddy the waters with no root in reality. 
This is another instance of the phenomenon related to filter bubbles and what the no-agenda folk call Dimensh A and Dimensh B. A little personal history. So uh, Fadi is from Syria, in case you didn't know. Uh, he's, he's, well, he's, he's not in Syria right now, but you know he was, uh, he was born there and uh, originally came from Syria. A little personal history. When the rebellion started in Syria, it was clear after a while that you have two different camps that had, completely diff- had a completely different view on what's happening. One camp believed that everybody is rebelling and the government is soon to fall, while the other didn't believe anything is happening and it's all exaggeration by foreign actors. Now, to my horror, I see the same thing happening in other areas, like the political situation in the United States and the whole world with COVID-19. And this is exactly why I like feedback, because, you know, I have listeners from all over the world, from all all kinds of different feedback, uh, different backgrounds, and they obviously they have different viewpoints and feedback that I, you know, I could they think about things that I could never think about and have experiences that I've never had. And so I, I, I appreciate stuff like this uh, a lot. And I think Fadi is completely right here. Uh, just to have a quick interjection, I think the uh, the tragedy of this situation is not that this division is happening, but that you can <laughs> you can't have a point in the middle, right? I imagine when you're in Syria and there's these two camps and these two um, belief systems or two dimensions or whatever, um, you can't be in the middle. You can't say, yeah, maybe not everybody's rebelling. And and maybe it's not all foreign actors, but maybe it's both. Maybe there's truth in both or whatever. You know, or the same thing with me and Mike discussing. Um, I think I personally think it's both is true. I think I think what was I think the left laptop was legit. And I think, yes, it was also employed by the Trump administration or you know, the Trump camp. Um I don't think I might I don't want to speak for Mike, but you know. His opinion could be, and we didn't get into it that much, but his opinion could be that it was completely made up. I don't think that's right. But I think it's it's always a bit in the middle. Um, back to what Fadi says. <clears throat> My attempt at explaining this is simple enough. In all these cases, it's difficult to have first-hand information. And all of us rely on second, if not third-hand information. This brings up the important role news media is playing in shaping our worldview. And here the risk of having a monopoly on news propagation becomes very critical. I know that you believe in the importance of having independent media and the risk of having some organizations monopolizing media platforms and communication channels. While writing this, I can't help but think that if some algorithm would decide that this email or similar should not be delivered... Um, I cannot help but think, what if some algorithm would decide this this email or similar message, I think he means, should not be delivered? This is a very dangerous slippery slope. This, of course, brings to mind your recent favorite Picard quote with the first link. And uh, when he mentioned that, maybe maybe I should, you, you, you can never, never listen to Picard. Uh, you know, there's never enough Picard in your life. So let's let listen to that speech again. It's not that long. You know? There are some words I've known since I was a schoolboy. But the first link the chain is forged, the first speech censured, the first thought forbidden, the first freedom denied, chains us all irrevocably. Those words were uttered by Judge Aaron Satie, 
is wisdom and warning. The first time any man's freedom is trodden on, we're all damaged. This very much applies to, um, you know, end-to-end encryption as well. It's, 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 it's the same thing, right? You know, the, if you if you say, uh, you know, if somebody who you think is a uh, is a child molester or, or a pedophile shouldn't have end-to-end encryption, it just follows from that that nobody will at some point. Um, yes, yeah, so I think uh, again interjecting here uh, in what Fadi said, um, he. Um, Yes, uh, I think I think you know. Of course, there could be an um, algorithm. I think that this is why it's important, and that's kind of my um, what I always mention the the OTG approach, you know, of the grid um, to have systems that re- are resilient against this kind of stuff. And email, for example, is a great system. I mean, yes, Google service could decide not to deliver your message, but you know, if you talk to me and I have my own email server, or you know, I have an independent company for, for me, it's mailbox.org running my email server, and you have another, or you have your own, or whatever, then then it, it's hard, if not impossible, um, for them to intercept that. Same reason why I think podcasting is so important. Uh, podcasting is uh, is has I I feel become an immense tool to people um, who who reject this monopolization for lack of a better word I don't think it's 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 not really a monopoly but you know we we all know what what Fadi means by that um, of the media landscape if you only have like five big TV networks and you know. And your mainstream, you know, in, in news sites. So in Germany, the Spiegel, Die Zeit, FAZ, Süddeutsche Zeitung, you know, or, you know, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and your local paper. Um, then that's a monopolization of public opinion. And that has always been the case. But the new thing is, the new thing about the internet is that we can get around that. Everybody can publish. Yes, that brings the downside that you don't know what is, you know, fake news as trump would say or as you know as bernays would say uh, propaganda but um you have the ability to go to people who you trust you know i have i have my own server i can't be deplatformed with this podcast Right, they can't throw me off. I mean, I can throw me off. I, you know, I, I, I live stream this on Twitch. They can throw me off Twitch. I upload that recording to YouTube. They can throw me off YouTube, but they can't kill the podcast, which is why I'm having, why I'm doing a podcast. <clears throat> First of all, I like the medium. I love podcasting, podcasting since 2006, of course. Um, but you know, it's, it's one of these fatty words, indie net things. You know, this is why I, I move more and more to my personal blog. Fab.industries, by the way. Um, that is important. That is, you know, that 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 is a way we can be resilient against these things. Anyway, uh, before I before I get into too much of a too much on my soapbox here, um, back to Fadi. Let me switch to a different slippery slope now. Okay, we're we're sliding in a different direction now. Then uphill again or something. Uh, different dimension, <laughs> dimension B, slippery slope. During the discussion, Mike used the expression "compassionate society." I have no doubts doubt uh, doubts about Mike's good intentions, but hearing this as a slogan doesn't give me a very good feeling. Let me explain. I totally share the hope that humans in general would become more compassionate and helpful towards each other. I don't, by the way. 
Um, and that's the big difference between me, one of the big difference between me and Mike, I feel. But okay. Um, but how, says Fadi. So he shares that with Mike. But how? The risk I see is that this compassionate talk is sometimes used as a tool. Uh, one, one could, one could say it's propaganda. <laughs> um, sometimes used as a tool so that more power is given to governments. And here the slippery slope begins. What liberties will be sacrificed so that everybody's nice to each other? Or right now, you know, so that nobody gets the virus. For this, my position is this. No, I don't want compassion by decree. People have the right to be jerks. I like that, by the way. I think that should be that, that should be uh, one of the uh, default slo slogans of the private citizen. People have the right to be jerks. Private citizen, fighting for your right to be a jerk. <laughs> But this wouldn't stop me or anybody from seeking out and supporting compassionate people. This is the only right way, in my opinion, to build compassion. It's not my job or anybody's to start imposing this. Of course, this discussion would now devolve into what could or could not be acceptable in society. And to make it short, the less rules, the better. More rules means more power concentrated in one place, which will be the target of the nastiest people to hold. So the power. Caveat emptor. I will stop here. And again, keep up the good work. Many thanks to you and Mike. And I would love to hear more interesting discussions. And I... I, I do so too. I hope I get Mike on again and I hope I also get other people on. And, you know, if you want to be on the show, if you have you want nominate somebody who you think uh, I could contact or whatever, please, you know, get in contact. Um, yeah, um, very, very true things. I think that the less is better. That's also, I mean, I think Fadi's written other feedback emails or messages i can remember where that was kind of his thing and i think it's that's good i mean that, that's a good approach um i recently heard uh john c devorek i think on no no agenda said um you know people think the government needs to do all these things and he said you know that the, the, the less a government does the better it usually is for the people and i i do believe that I, you know that that is probably the difference the fundamental difference i have with many of my friends who are you know liberals and, and, and progressives and especially progress the progressive thinking seems to be the government needs to do all these things it needs you know humans we need to mandate that people behave better you know that they care about the environment that they protect other people from the virus and stuff and i just fundamentally don't think that way i don't think that works i don't think you can for it's kind of like what what fadi says here i don't think you can force people into being nice or into 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 protecting other people um they need to want that themselves right you can you can have a and you should have a framework in society where certain things are not done right you need to you need to make murder illegal and things like that and you can enforce that you can actually enforce that but you can't in, you can't force people to be nice to each other and if and i agree with fadi if you go down that path that leads to a a dystopia that to imagine that is horrible i mean that's uh, elders if you it's pretty much elders huxley uh, that's brave new world maybe i should read that again I had some other feedback from uh, our anonymous Canadian, who's also somebody who's written in before. Um, he, again, he or she, um, 
sent me an encrypted message. Um, so let's use that. Let's do that while we still can. <laughs> it still is legal in Canada and here in Germany, in the EU. Um, the anonymous Canadian says, I should probably say he or she or they, uh, you know, there might be, there might be uh, LGBTQ, LIIP, something, something. So they, uh, they are saying, just got most of the way through your newest, re- oh, sorry, why can't I, why, why do I read like I have a brain tumor? <laughs> just got most of the way through your newest record-breaking content episode and enjoying it. But a couple of items I've been meaning to send and have a few minutes to do so. This article is interesting. He sends an article to the Ottawa Citizen. Um, it starts with a quick rundown that follows the direction of the headline, the creation of a propaganda department, but finishes by talking about how the Canadian military started collecting social media data on Canadian citizens. This is indeed very interesting. Um, I should do uh, an episode at some point, probably, you know, it's going to be next year, uh, to be fair. But, you know, I'm currently reading, uh, rereading Propaganda by uh, Edward Bernays, which is a book from the 20s. Um, which explains public relations and propaganda, which is basically what Goebbels read um, and, you know, uh, stole stole all his ideas from uh, to get Hitler uh, to power. But uh, propaganda is, 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 I mean, this is just um, a very timely book, I feel. You know, it's 100 years old now and everything's coming back. Propaganda is a, it's a big thing. Um, as you can read here in the Ottawa Citizen, Canadian military wants to establish new organization to use propaganda, other techniques to influence Canadians. Of course, I mean, propaganda is new, right? Propaganda has always been used. It's it's always used by governments. The German government uses it. I mean, uh, Deutsche Welle is an example, which is kind of like the German uh, Radio Free Europe. Uh, Radio Free Europe is an example, uh, CIA operation. Um, now, allegedly, not a CIA operation anymore, but <laughs> again, can you ever be not a CIA operation, <laughs> really? Um, once you, once you, you've been a CIA operation. Um, yeah, I don't, the, the Canadian government seems to be ahead with everything. I'm, I'm not up to what's going on. I just read stories once in a while and I see pictures uh, here again of um, Justin Trudeau, who ha- now has a beard and looks like a villain. Um, he lo- <laughs> he looks a bit like a I don't know. No, he's a baby face for a Bond villain, but you know, he looks like uh, Mirror Universe Trudeau. Is what he looks like. <laughs> um, yeah, so they are all in. They are they are very very. Um, um, clear about the fact that they want propaganda and you know this is a long article as as our um, anonymous canadian says is you know then they then talk about um all the data they, they they collect on canadians which you know that's again that goes hand in hand right this is to bring it i don't know if you can hear that but there's a helicopter coming for me i think um well maybe that was a small small plane it was a bit too fast a bit too didn't 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 sound like it was flying a helicopter maybe i maybe they're not coming for me just yet uh, so um yeah it is uh it's, it's definitely interesting and, and it goes hand in hand right this this the spying on people and propaganda it's kind of like um it is i mean propaganda is like advertising right to advertise to somebody to to have 
effective PR, you need to know what their worst fears are, what 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 their desires are. And propaganda is kind of the same thing. The more you know about your citizens, the better it, you know, the better propaganda you can do. But you know, once I've reread Bernays, I'm I'm gonna get into that. I'm gonna do a whole episode about that because I think that is is something we uh we need to we need to be aware of right now. Anyway, uh our anonymous Canadian goes on. The next topic is the rolling out of tight rolling out of tighter coronavirus restrictions. As of yesterday, British Columbia has asked for all non-essential travel to be stopped, including reaching out to other provinces and the federal government to aid in this. Um, I always say, you know, I'd, I'd like to hear from other people wherever they are, what's going on there. It's still the case, you know, if you if you have a boots on the ground report from wherever you are, as you can see in this case, you can you can be anonymous, you can send it to me encrypted. I have a um, whistleblower drop where I don't even know who you are. It's all in the show notes. Uh, there's a contact link there. It goes to my blog. It explains how the whistleblower drop works. Everything. Um, all private gatherings are now prohibited. All indoor public spaces will now require masks. Oddly enough, COVID-19 does not seem to spread in restaurants or schools, so masks are not required in those two locations. Theaters and gyms remain open. Religious places of worship, such as churches, have been told they cannot have masks. However, the virus does not, does, not, does not survive at baptisms and funerals, so those are still okay. I like his... Um, his sarcasm here is like you know, um, is uh, is it's like the virus being nocturnal, right? You have to close down the uh, the restaurants at night, or you know, it, it, people who drink alcohol are more susceptible, so you need to close. I mean, this is this is interesting now because you can see pretty much every country is clamping down again, but it's like wildly diverging. If you talk to people from the U.S. and different states there, or you know, in Canada in this case, or Australia or Germany, it's all different. Like it seems like the virus behaves completely different, whatever whatever country it's in, because we all have to have different rules. Um, so once again, it appears to have been a liberal rolling. I like how he puts this: a liberal rolling of AD&D dice in creating these rules. This is all due to quote record number of cases and quote being recorded. Personally, I th think that if you are only testing people that have symptoms, you should probably have a high positive rate, especially considering we know there's a high false positive rate. And I would also suspect that when you go from 1,000 tests per day to 10,000 tests per day, under those circumstances, it would be magic if you didn't seem that, see that alarming spike they are referring to. Yeah, spike is, you know, the cases are spiking. It's one of the propaganda terms. Um, yeah, if you go from 1,000 tests to 10,000, you would imagine you have 10 times the cases. Yeah, probably not. You know, it's not how statistic works, but you know, it's gonna, it's gonna go up significantly. Um, I don't think he's talking about high or she or they are po talking about high positive. Sorry. I always assume that that's my white male uh, privilege speaking. I always assume anonymous people are, are men, white men, old white men like me. That's just, that's just the way it goes. You'll, I'm, I'm never going to get rid of that. Like me saying, um, I mean, I've, I've tried for years. Uh, we'll just have to deal with that. Um, there you go. So, you know they they say uh high false positive i don't i don't i've been doing a lot in a lot of research into this and i don't think they actually the 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 high there is such a high false positive rate the more i understand how especially i'm not talking about the antibody tests i think the pcr tests um actually do not have such a high false positive rate i think what 
um, because basically, I mean, the PCR can be false positive, but the people doing it in a lab aren't idiots. And you will, you know, it's it's like you do you do a lot of um, samples at the same time, and you will have like one row will be false positive. So you you'll notice like okay, maybe I double, you know, double. Um, I, I filled those test tubes twice or something like this. You know, they, they'll they'll figure out generally uh, that there are false positives. I've talked to a lot of people who do these PCRs for these tests now and. I, I think what we initially thought were a lot of false positives is just the way the virus behaves. I think it's become incredibly clear that there is a there's not a clear correlation between um, somebody testing positive, i.e. a case, uh, and then they becoming sick. Or they being them being inf infectious. So I think we have a lot of people that have no symptoms that test positive. I think uh, we can't, we don't really know in which case people are actually infectious, which is why I think all these rules are just you know whistling in the pissing into the wind and hoping that it doesn't come back to hit us again. Um, I, I that's that's where I see this coming from, um, and you know. Um, he, he, they, them me later mentioned the Elon Musk thing. So we, we get into that. If you, if you get into antibody test, all bets are off. Um, anyway, uh, continuing in this email. But I'm glad I do not live in the pr province of Manitoba. Absolutely no guests allowed in your house, not even your child if they live with the other parent. That is horrible. Stores not allowed to sell non-essential items. Uh, and must either remove them or rope them off. Th that's great. So you can, th th this is, this makes complete sense. So you go into a store, right? And you can only buy the canned food, right? The, the non-essential, like the, 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 the magazines are like in, in the sh next shelf, but it's roped off. So you don't buy, what? I mean, you're in the store. You, you, I mean, if you're exposing yourself or others to the, you, you're doing it. Doesn't matter what you're buying. What I mean, come on, who is that idiotic? Uh, many, many Manitoba. Where, where is that? I have to, um, I have to look that up. Maybe it's. A, I mean, I have this thing about um, um, people living in like mountainous regions. You know. Uh, you know these 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 villages where they, they they just get weird. You know people living in in mountainous. Re oh, Manitoba is up there. Okay, Winnipeg is. In oh well. Hmm. Okay, I actually have. I I do not know enough about Canadian geography, so I had to look it up. Um, I don't know. That that it looks like Canada, like the rest of Canada. You know, it's not like like Yukon or whatever. Or up there, uh, what's Nuna Nuna would didn't even know that existed. Um, <laughs> is this? I mean, is this? Are they just exposed to too much fresh air up there? Is, is that why why they why they come up with idiotic rules? Um, I don't know. Anyway, uh, continuing. I feel sorry for Elon Musk. Four tests in one day, two came back positive, two came back negative. 
Not too sure how we are supposed to process that, process that kind of a diagnosis. So always keep up the good work. And I look forward to finishing this current episode. Yeah, I mean, the Elon Musk, so Elon Musk tweeted that he got a, like an antibody test and he was, so he says something extremely bogus is going on. I, you know, I don't like Elon Musk, but he is funny on occasion. Something extremely bogus is going on. I was tested for COVID four times today. Two tests came back negative, two came back positive, same machine, same test, same nurse, rapid antigen test from BD. Um, to which Stephen King replies, you're POS piece of shit i don't think elon musk uh cares steven um because uh, he's not the richest man in the world uh elon is um but you know i mean no he's not a piece of what that is is the antibody test the problem is you know pcr right okay um that's um the, the, the PCR test is completely reliable i think where you run like it kind of depends on where you're take your sample so you know how deep they go into your nose it's completely different if they take it from your throat right it's the pcr is very 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 um again i can't find the word i'm looking for um it's 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 well it's incredibly good at you know you put your little q-tip somewhere and then it's incredibly good at figuring out if there's virus particles there i think the problem is we have right now is the fact that they are there you know how 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 spread are they everywhere else does that mean you're infectious we don't know really about that like the antigen test uh seems to be a lot more iffy i think uh, i mean there's a there's an issue with we don't know how long people have antigens um it seems to be relatively um like we we don't really know how long they're there how many they're there when and that that seems to be all all still up in the air we we don't seem to have much data about this and i think the general problem is um again their antigen tests are not that don't equal antigen tests i think this is the quick test that's the problem i think the method they're using might be the problem i mean there, there are things where you can do antigen tests where they um i think in german it's called the titter uh, okay i'll have to look that up um what that is called in um in english um so it's a it's a it's like a concentrated in english yeah uh, that's in english it's, it's called titer titer uh in english uh, Wikipedia says titer testing employs serial dilution to obtain approximate quantitative information. Blah blah blah. It's a way of expressing concentration. So that you know, there's a way that you can you can you can um, assess the antibody titer, which is basically um, this is if you've been vaccinated against something in the past. Um, they use this to see how many antibodies you still have. Uh, to see if you need to be vaccinated again, you know, for stuff where you need to vaccin be, be vaccinated multiple times and stuff like that. And, you know, these, these, these quick tests don't do that. They're just like, you know, pretty much, uh, yeah, you have like, you put blood, blood on a strip. It's like, you know, like a pregnancy test, like peeing on a, and it does things. And then it tells you yes or no. And th that system seems to be not exactly fine tuned. Um, 
yeah anyway so I, yes the testing is I, I've, I've never been uh, you know I've, I've always been a cri- I've been criticizing this this testing from the beginning because I think a lot of people are being tested when they shouldn't be tested and when it makes no sense it's kind of like the roping off the aisle in the supermarket like for a lot of people it doesn't make any sense to be tested Right. So for me, for example, I'm like a freelancer. I'm, I sit at home all day. If I now start developing symptoms that look like, you know, I, I got SARS CoV 2 infection, I'm not going to go out and get tested. Right. I might as well just quarantine myself for two weeks. I just need to organize somebody to bring me food. <laughs> but, uh, you know, me going out, I might actually be infecting people if I go to a doctor or, you know, a lab or whatever. Or I might actually not have. Uh, a coronavirus infection, you know, a COVID, and uh, I, might, I might go to the testing place and somebody coughs on me and then I've got COVID, you know? So, and then I, so that would be the amazing thing because I, 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 I'd be negative. And so I'd, I'd not be infected. I'd go to the office there, right? I, I'll go to a, to, to my doctor, right? I'll sit in the waiting room. Somebody coughs on me. I get, I get infected right that moment. Then, 10 minutes later, they test me, but obviously at that moment, you can't detect the infection yet. So I'll be negative, right? So I'll be going out for a week or whatever, but I'm actually just being infected. And then I get symptoms. So yeah, it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense in so many cases. Uh, speaking of not making sense, also we had some discussions on the, you know, we have this patron-only Discord server, which, you know, if you become a patron, you get access to that. It's a little bit extra thing that we have going on. Anyway, Barry Williams, who's been supporting the show for a long time and who writes in from time to time, uh, was disc- was was uh, talking in there, discussing. Uh, he chimed in from South Australia, where he lives, and they just had their lockdown lifted. Um, people might have read about this. Uh, this was uh, someone lied during contact tracing and basically um, said he got he got a pizza from a pizza place. Um, and in in fact, he was actually working at the pizza place, but for some reason he didn't want to admit to that. And so they they decided he'd gotten the virus off the food. And then they decided there was a dangerous mutation happening in South Australia where this virus could could now do all kinds of new things, uh, including infecting people from pizzas. And they locked down. It had like a million people locked down, I think. Um, And then they realized the guy had light and there were like 13 cases and they'd all been in quarantine they were working at the pizza place they've been in quarantine from the beginning and now they don't have lockdown anymore anyway barry was bitching i think um i we had some feedback from him i don't know was last show uh no i have to look that up right oh god why why am i not writing these things down when i prepare the show (laughs) and then i have to look it up i don't know we had a we had we had him saying like he he didn't um yeah it was from yeah it was in the last episode he was talking about how you know he can't he can't cycle and he can't um do exercise and all of this but at least now the lockdowns lifted again but you know we were kind of discussing that in in the um in the discord and um he also said according to the police purchasing alcohol is an essential service so that's okay for the next so this was why the lockdown was still in effect for the next six days very australian which indeed it is um but heaven forbid you leave your house to exercise for fuck's sake and then you know we were discussing this and another patron uh commented on how 
idiotic this is banning outside exercise and i completely agree with that i think that's just just dumb i mean especially when gyms are closed you, you actually i think i talked about this on the show before as well you you're at that point you're not helping you're actually making people's health worse by not letting them exercise and i still reiterate there hasn't been any scientific data that suggests people actually get infected outside in the fresh air with wind going on apparently it doesn't seem to be happening so you know not allowing people to go outside is, is dumb in the first place and then outlawing exercises actually that should be that should be dangerous that, like, that that's it that creates more health problems than it solves obviously anyway if you don't agree with that which might be a distinct possibility please again i implore you write me contact me there's a link in the show notes uh, under producer feedback at the bottom it says contact me is also at the very bottom of the show notes page as a contact link so please do and then um, i mean you can do that you will become a producer because you're helping produce the show but another thing i kind of need is uh, a bit of monetary uh, incentive uh, because i'm trying to survive here as a freelancer and i spend a lot of time you know, I record this live to tape, so that doesn't. I mean, if you if you if you go if you go to Twitch or to YouTube, uh, achieve these things, archive these things, and you can you can look at a stream. You will see how it works. You know how I record everything straight live to tape, and that doesn't actually take that long. But you know, I spent a lot of time preparing the show and stuff like that. And um, if you get value from that, um, you get it for free. The only thing I ask is to give me some value back. And that's the value for value model as pioneered by John C. Dvorak and Adam Curry on the No Agenda show. And I live by this model as well, which means you don't have to give me anything. If you want to, you can become a patron on Patreon, link in the show notes, or you can send me a one-off contribution via PayPal, producers at fab.industries is the PayPal address, producers at fab.industries. I'm still trying to figure out a more privacy um, respecting way to get money across um and um yeah i can't can't deal with bitcoins for reasons that let's not get into that that'll that'll be another rant uh for for quite a while but you know i'm yeah if you have a, if, you, if you have a suggestion please again contact me and if you watch the recording live on twitch you can also subscribe which anybody who has a prime Amazon Prime subscription gets one free Twitch subscription. You just log in with your Prime account on Twitch and um, you can support me for free, which which also works, which is also great. And um, quite a few people do that. So now uh, comes the time of the show where I thank them. But first of all, I have to thank ByteMark at ByteMark.co.uk who provide the servers to me for free that I use to distribute the audio files to you, which uh, I could do without them. They're a hoster from the UK, Bytemark, bytemark.co.uk. And also um, thanks to Raul Kabzali, who um, made the theme tune that I've licensed for the show. And then um, the only thing that's left for me to do here is to thank everybody who is um, support the show financially. You keep the show going. I appreciate it very much. So keeping the show on the air, Ah, Niall Donegan, Michael Mullen Jensen, Jonathan M. Hathi, Dave, Butterbeans, 
Georges Walther, Steve Hoth, Ho <coughs> okay, I need some more tea here, sorry. Sorry, Steve. Steve Hoth, Mark Holland, Shelby Kruver, Vlad, Jackie Plage, One Eye, One One G, Kai Sears, Philipp Klostermann, Jaroslav Lichtblau, Fadi Mansour, IKN, Matt Jellyman, Joe Poser, Dirk Didi, David Potter, Mika, Dave Amrish, Martin, SJ, Ricky M, Drive Zero, Jonathan Edwards, Barry Williams, Mr. Amish, Whiteouter Sadowskis, Neil, Captain Eckhead, Gal Taren, and Indie Gamiacs, who is running a cool podcast about indie games, I believe. Thanks to all of you. And um, if you want to um, participate, in the value for value model and you want to be anonymous, please let me know. Um, you can do that in Patreon. I, I mean, I will keep you off this list if you don't want to be mentioned. Uh, that goes without saying, but I thought I should maybe, <laughs> maybe say it. Um, well, I've said it now. <laughs> and uh, that's that's it. That's it for me for today. Um, as I said, I'm planning to do kind of two more shows this year. Um, so if everything goes according to plan, I'll put one another show out this week, uh, and then I'll have one next Wednesday, which will be the recap of the year 2020 in all its non-existent glory, in, in all its hurt and pain and horribleness. Until then, until the next episode, thanks for listening. I've been Fab coming to you from Düsseldorf in lockdown, saying wherever you are, whatever restrictions there are, remember, once in a while, you know, it keeps you sane. If you think to yourself, what would Malcolm Reynolds do at this point? Which is probably he would aim to misbehave. See you next time. Thanks for listening to The Private Citizen, defending your right to have something to hide.